The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by a film and television director and producer. Michael Steed has worked on such shows as PBS's The Mind of a Chef, which was a James Beard Award winner. CNN's Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown, which won an Emmy. He's created content for the Travel Channel, A&E, Bravo, Netflix. He's with the production company 0.0. And most recently, he directed season two of My Next Guest Needs No Introduction with David Letterman. He was at every shoot in the theaters, on location. And it's a great pleasure to welcome Michael Steed. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Paul. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's our honor. Well, I think most stories are best from the beginning. Can you give us a little bit of background on where you're from? Well, I grew up in uh, I grew up in Miami, and uh, sort of slowly made my way out of Florida. Ended up in Atlanta for uh, for school at Georgia State University, and where I sort of fell in love with uh, documentary film work. You know, and New York City was always on my uh, on my radar. Uh, since childhood. So, you know, about 20 years ago, I moved up here to uh, pursue, you know, film and television career. I am just a couple of miles at the moment from Georgia State University. And I thought it would be right. Yeah, I thought it would be cool to explore your, your Georgia connection. What are your memories from your time in the Big A? Well, you know, Atlanta is uh Atlanta is a great city. You know, I was there in the 90s, so the sort of music and art and film scene was was fantastic. So, you know, a lot of my closest friends come from that time. And, you know, it's where I uh, really developed, you know, my love of really of, of film and documentary work. I worked at a, a video store that's now closed called Movies Worth Seeing. So people in Atlanta will certainly know what that is. And, you know, it's a type of independent you know, video rental store that, you know, where four or five of us worked and we could just explore and buy whatever we wanted. So we were able to really, you know, sort of expand our our sort of um, understanding and viewing of, uh, of films more so than I ever got in, in school. So it was there where I really kind of, you know, fell in love and sort of really learned the ins and outs of, of, of movie making. That's really interesting to me. Now, tell me, you had access to unlimited movies. I know because I had a similar job, and I'm hoping you can tell us about some of the movies that have made a lasting impression on you. Well, well, you know, wow, that's a, that's a big question, right? So it really depends on, on what we're, you know, which genre we're talking about. But, you know, within... You know, documentary work, you know, it, it ranges from, you know, all the less blank docs, which really had a big influence on me, just sort of pure verite and, you know, shot on film and just amazing, quirky sort of subject matters. You know, his film, uh, A Burden of Dreams, which is a film that he documented the making of Fitzcarraldo, is probably one of my all-time favorite documentaries. So there's that. And then, you know, we could also come across something like Heavy Metal Parking Lot, which was just like this sort of underground public access thing that someone made out of Washington, D.C. And 
you know, be able to talk to that director and bring it to movies we're seeing and, you know, have people watch that. So that those, you know, wow, it's, there's just so many that we were able to sort of explore there, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was also, what else? What else? Let me think. That's such a big question. I really have to just sort of pause for a moment and really think about that, you know, cause it was the, the mid nineties. And I think, you know, there's this time when a few movies came out that just kind of changed my life, which is, it's a series of films. It's like Jim Jarmusch's Dead Man, Todd Haynes's Safe, Ang Lee's The Ice Storm, and Adam McGoyan's The Sweet Hereafter. And those films sort of really embrace quiet and silence in a way that I hadn't seen or at least hadn't been exposed to. Yeah, it wasn't, and it's because of that place movies were seeing that really, I was able to really, you know, to watch those films and be inspired by them. And so I would say, you know, those are, if you need to know my sort of core aesthetics, those you can probably watch those movies and, and understand them. And as I was mentioning in the introduction there, a lot of the things that you've created have had a food or a culinary connection to it. How did that come about? Uh, random. I mean, it's just, you know, sort of pure luck. And, um, you know, before I came to 0.0, I was doing a show called The First 48, which was on A&E and may still be on A&E, and I'm not sure, um, and where we follow, you know, sort of it being embedded with homicide detectives around the country. And and I just was randomly at a, at a party somewhere, and someone that was running uh, Tony's show, the showrunner, said, you know, oh, what are you doing? And, you know, I may have a slot open for a show. And I was, I didn't even know who Anthony Bourdain was. And I said, that, that's great. I'd love to sort of, you know, why not go from homicides to food and travel? It seemed like a, uh, a much sort of, it was a way to sort of clean my, my palate, you know, hanging around murder investigators for a few years can really do that to you. So I just, she called me and said, we have a couple shows that we'd like you to direct. So I started doing that. And, you know, I wasn't like this super foodie or anything, but I, I certainly became, you know, sort of ensconced in that world pretty quickly. On the note of Anthony Bourdain, when you think about him, what comes to your mind? Oh, you know, I mean, just, you know, a, a, a original someone, you know, they sort of broke the mold with Tony and, you know, he's been a huge influence on my life and I feel extremely lucky and uh, blessed to have worked with him for as long as I did. What was he like when you got to know him? Oh, uh, what was he like? Sharp, you know, uh, deep, deep understanding and film knowledge that I had never sort of, sort of experienced and just open to creative ideas, which, you know, is a rare sort of combination to have someone with that much talent and abilities also be open to, you know, any and all ideas that you would come to the table with. So just a really genuine, genuine dude. I really liked him. You said a moment ago that you became a foodie as a result of this could you tell us the best restaurant you've ever been to? I just want to say the word foodie is kind of, at this point, just, you know, it's almost derogatory, but at, <laughs> at least in my world, uh, uh, 
the best restaurant I've ever been to. Uh, God, you know, again, uh, you know, I mean, eating on the streets of Tijuana is better than any restaurant that I've ever been to. So it's really uh, situational. You know what I mean? I've been to super fancy restaurants that people would say, oh, that's the best restaurant in the world. And it was delicious. But, um, you know, I mean, eating and, you know, food in general is really about, you know, who you're with, you know, what, what's, uh, you know, what's the situation. So it's, it really, it, it really depends on that, but truly like, you know, eating in uh, on the streets of Tijuana can be just as glorious and amazing as eating at Noma or, you know, any of the other sort of high end, you know, restaurants that people generally think of as, you know, the best food in the world. That's a really, really good point. And I also have to agree with you about the term foodie. I, I don't, yes. I've had people call me that and I usually say something like, what are you saying? I'm chubby. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, it's just, you know, at this point, it's just like, I don't know. It's, yeah, I don't know how to even, you know, what it means at this point. I love eating food. I love good company. And I really respect and appreciate the craft. I wanted to dive into the Letterman stuff. I've watched this series, the first season, of course, and I watched this second season, and I've tried to watch it very, very carefully. It's really interesting, very well done. So how did you get a chance to do this? Well, I mean, I don't know exactly how it came to to ZPZ. You know, I'm kind of above my pay grade, but I... um, you know, when, uh, when they did decide to, you know, come to us to, to direct or uh, produce the, the second season, Chris and Lydia, who own the company here, decided that I would be a, a good fit. You know, I have, uh, and why they decided I was a good fit, you'd have to ask them. But, you know, I, uh, I, you know I've, I've worked a long time, you know, created some shows here, and, you know, I think they thought I would be able to do it. And I feel great that they did because I really had a great time doing it. Was there any particular reason that this season started with Kanye West? Well, I mean, it's not the first one that we we shot, but you know, coming out of the gate with um, with Kanye seems self evident. You know, I mean, it's you know he he you know people are extremely interested in what he has to say, and you know, and I. They didn't know what to expect. I suppose that the audience wouldn't have known what to expect. We certainly did not. And, uh, you know, you start with someone like Kanye, right? I mean, it's, it's he's compelling and whether or not you like him or you love his music or you're angry at him for wearing the hat, you know, and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, it's It's still going to, people are going to watch. You know, people are going to watch. Was there anything that surprised you about Kanye West? Oh, anything surprised me. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you have this, uh, there's the, the, the image, you know, that, that certainly his, his controversies in the last uh, couple of years. So, you know, just he, at least in person, you know, uh, and outside of all of the sort of controversy with Trump and all the other sort of nonsense that sort of surrounds all of that. He's just a normal sort of down-to-earth person uh, and treated us just, you know, how do I say it? 
you know, he treated us like normal people. <laughs> I don't know what that sounds kind of weird, but, you know, he just is a normal down to earth person who seems to have issues that he's dealing with just like, um, any, anyone else, you know, I mean, really, it, it, you know, it just sort of reminded me that, you know, to not sort of push your own sort of narratives on people that you don't know, and that ultimately we don't know anybody. And, you know, what we learned in the, you know, in the interview, and you saw that on, you know, on the show is, that, you know, he's dealing with his own, own issues. And, um, you know, there's empathy there for that, you know, outside of what your feelings are on his politics, or, you know, some of his comments, there's someone there that, you know, has issues that, you know, he seems to be confronting and how, how the best he can. I have to say, I, st I started out watching that episode and I didn't, I didn't know what to think. I thought I wouldn't like Kanye West. And he came up, he came across as very, as you said, down to earth. And he, yeah, I mean, that's what it, you know, him and um, Kim, you know, we were in their home. There was no, you know, sort of, the whole sort of reality TV-ness of it that people, you know, that where the, the part that people know, you know, you, you quickly see that that is a projection, you know, and that, you know, in their home, they're just, you know, they got kids, they're, you know, a husband and wife, they're dealing with, you know, what all people in their homes are, are dealing with to some degree, you know, obviously they have resources that, you know, a lot of people don't, but outside of all that, they're just, you know, people trying to trying to make it. At a certain point in the interview, Dave and Kanye talk about what it means to be cool. This is cool. That's not cool. How do you define cool? Uh, I guess defining cool means <laughs> you don't have to define cool. You know, again, I don't want to sound like I'm being coy or anything, but cool is just this nebulous idea, you know, uh, what's cool to me is certainly not going to be cool to someone who's 22 and what's cool to a 22 year old might just be sort of uncool to me or, or rehashing of ideas that I've already seen, or, you know, it, it's just, a it's relative to your own sort of style and ideas and, you know, aesthetic so I don't, I don't have a, a clear definition of what, what cool is. I, I really don't. Uh, I wish I, you know, being like the, a middle-aged dad, I guess I, sh I wish I had a better idea so I could, you know, kind of come across as cooler than I am. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> what is cool, man? Uh, you should ask uh, someone who's 22 living in Williamsburg, and they might be able to tell you better than I can. That's <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Something that was also interesting was the the worship service, the Sunday service. What was yeah. that like to film? Uh, it was, uh, I mean, it was fantastic. You know, it's, uh, you know, if what people can't really argue against is Kanye's, you know, artistic abilities and, and, and him as a musician and, you know, him sort of pushing the envelope, you know, he's definitely changed, you know, the genre that, you know, of hip hop in, in a lot of ways. And then the, the end where he's, you know, kind of, you know, he told Dave that, you know, that he's just sort of throwing paint on the campus at this point, you know, so we saw it in its early stages and we saw it in like a very personal 
uh, in the personal setting, which I think is what he was really wanting it to be. Listen, when you have a choir singing in that sort of space, it, it's, you know, it's powerful. So it's just, it was a joyous experience, you know, and then filming it, you know, we went in with, you know, our regular cameras and Kanye's like, that's going to sort of blow the vibe. So all of us just took out our phones and, and recorded it uh, with iPhones and, you know, got the mastered audio and, and made the scene that you guys see there on, on in the show. It was, you know, from a filmmaking standpoint, you know, it's like, you know, a situation comes up, you're like, oh, what's the solution? Oh, we'll shoot it on phones. It's still going to be personal, it's still going to be really cool. And it's going to be super intimate. Uh, and, and that's, that's how it came across. It was really powerful. I know that he played like Coachella or something like a few months later, and it didn't quite have the impact, or at least that's what people were saying, you know, online that uh, I think the space itself was critical in that, you know, his whole use of and being inspired by James Terrell and the light and his whole ideas. But you're seeing, we were involved in a process, you know, and I'm curious how it, how it ends up come, you know, at the end, what, what, what we saw sort of makes it to the, uh, the final idea, but it was great. I mean, and Dave just loved it. You know, he was really truly and honestly inspired and, uh, you know, kind of awestruck at the power of it. Music is magic and that, that way sometimes. Absolutely. The Ellen DeGeneres episode, something that occurred to me when I was watching it is, wow, you have two of the great broadcasters of our time on one stage, really just bringing them together. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, what can I say about that? You know, <laughs> it's just kind of like, you, you know, what I do in that situation is you're like, you open the door, you put them on stage and you let them do their thing. You know, I mean, they, there's not too much you need to tell either one of them in, in that situation. They're both great, amazing storytellers. They're just, they're, they're, you know, they're two people just that are, you know, icons and um, masters at their, you know, at what they do. And it, I think it was evident, not just in the, in the final cut of the show, but as it's happening, you're just like, okay, you know, these guys are just, you know, they're, these two are just, you know, amazing. Uh, you know, the ability to sit on stage and have that sort of intimate conversation and, you know, quick wit and callbacks and all of it just, just kind of happening in real time. So it was a rare treat for sure. You just said intimate and we won't spoil it completely for anyone who hasn't seen it, but it, it got very, very personal. Did you know that the interview would get as personal as it did? I didn't. I, I knew uh, that Dave was probably going to ask, you know, some questions, but um, there was no telling what what Ellen was going to reveal or felt comfortable revealing. You know, it's not the type of show where we discussed a list of questions prior to you know going out on stage. You know, it's it, as it's happening. That's when you know the guest is hearing the questions for the first time and answering however they're going to answer. So I don't think. I, I know that we didn't know what it, how personal it would get, and I don't even think uh, Ellen knew how personal it would get. But it was amazing. You know, you're just kind of sitting, watching it happen in real time, and just awe that 
you know, again, that it's, it's actually happening. It was deep and, you know, really touching. Absolutely. That was the word that was going through my head. It was very touching. Something she mentioned in the interview was she talked about criticism, like from the press, that kind of thing. Mm. And she said, I thought this was great. If you listen to the good reviews, logically, you have to listen to the bad reviews, too. So she just said, I, I don't I don't read them. Did the reviews matter to you? Um, do they matter? I, I, I listen, I, I read, you know, I read reviews. I, I don't have a problem with, with bad reviews. I, I kind of like reading um, like social media reviews because, you know, you're getting a more direct sort of response to someone who just, just watched it. So, and, you know, if people love it, that makes me feel really good. If people don't like it, um, I guess it really depends on what they don't like. Sometimes I find, that, you know, the people that don't, you know, sort of give a negative review, you know, I find some humor in it sometimes because they're just sort of off in their criticisms. But I ultimately it doesn't matter because if I enjoyed making it and I'm proud of what we made, you know, what what some critic or some person out there in the world uh, personally thinks out of it, that's that's the uh, that's the risk you take of putting yourself out there creatively. It's not for everybody. And, you know, you're hoping that it's it's there's more people that like it than don't. With the Tiffany Haddish episode, was that the first time that they had met? Uh, it is. Yes, it was the first time they met. It was great. Yeah, it's really incredible. And I think Dave's technique as an interviewer really came out. His ability to get someone to open up like that. How do you think it is or why is Dave so good at getting people to talk? Well, I mean, he's Dave Letterman, you know, I mean, he's been doing it for a really long time and now he can do it on his, on his own terms. You know, there's, you know, no one's there, you know, sort of to promote a show or sell a book or, you know, anything like that. It's just, you know, a conversation and having now talked to Dave in you know, sort of less formal settings, like in meetings and just sort of in rooms, He's just funny and really good. You know, I mean, what can I say about David Letterman, really, and his skill set? It's kind of, there's a, uh, there's 30 years of, of, of proof of his abilities. And then also, you know, there's that, but then there's Tiffany, who is magnetic and just, is just a powerhouse and hilarious and just as quick as Dave is up there. So when you have someone sitting across from you of her, caliber and her ability to just have fun and open up and let it all out there, then it certainly probably made Dave's job that much easier. It seems like David Letterman always has a rapport with anyone who has done stand-up comedy. And when he was talking to Tiffany Haddish, he was kind of being self-deprecating about his own abilities as a comedian. But I thought it was really interesting watching and hearing two comedians talk about, like, kind of getting nerdy about it for a little bit, talking about the history of comedy, that was really interesting to me. Yeah, and I think it, it kind of took Dave by surprise of how much Tiffany actually not just knew, but was, you know, a part of and friends with old friends of his and, 
so yeah, I mean, I, I have that. I don't come from the comedy world, but I certainly uh, can nerd out on comedy history. And yeah, I mean, if you're talking the history of, of comedy and comedians, Dave is certainly the person to to talk to or one of one of the people to talk to. And I remember the moment where uh, Tiffany just sort of started talking about her influences and, and Dave was really taken aback by, you know, how much of the history she really, really, truly knew and, um, you know, was inspired by. Yeah. So again, that's, you know, they hadn't met each other prior to, and then, you know, these revelations are coming on, on stage. So, you know, it's just sort of unfolding in a really sort of natural and natural way. When David Letterman was introducing Lewis Hamilton, the race car driver, he was saying the name of this show is my next guest needs no introduction. And he said something to the effect of, but to a lot of you, you're going to need an introduction for this guy. And it's always been interesting to me, David Letterman always seems to especially shine with someone who is a little less famous than, say, like Tom Hanks or somebody like that. And I know that Dave loves racing. Was this a special choice for him? Yeah, it, it was. You know, I mean, Dave's love of racing is, is fairly well known at this point. And, you know, Lewis Hamilton came up really early. You know, and again, this show is, is is different than his what he did for 30 years it's he gets to decide and lewis hamilton is you know like he said may need a little bit of introduction but only here in the states you know around the world he's he's uh, one of the most highly regarded and famous and well-paid athletes there is so yeah this one was definitely really special to dave and and a lot of fun to produce the field pieces were just i mean fantastic what was that like, seeing Dave interact with people out in public? Well, interacting in public is one thing. I, I, specifically for this, you know, being on that racetrack, being at <laughs> Silverstone, I mean, that was something he'd never done before, never been to that, that, that racetrack, had always wanted to go, and passively sort of mentioned that he'd love to drive it. And, and they were totally game, you know, and him and Lewis really hit it off really well. You know, I mean, Lewis is just an amazing sort of generous and funny and genuine person. So all of that stuff that you see happening, you know, in the show, it's almost half of how sort of, it shows about half as much fun as they were actually having together. It's kind of hard to even capture the sort of joy that Dave was feeling there. But I think we did the best job we could. But yeah, that was, I mean, it's it's hilarious and just, you see the look on his face when he comes out of that car at the end. I mean, it's giddy, happy. So, uh, you know, as someone who's directing these things, that's those are the moments you 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 really want, where Dave is truly and truly having a really really good time, and he certainly had a really good time there. They would have driven for another two hours, except Lewis was literally seeing this year's car for the first time ever. So he actually had real work to do um, and took out the time to sort of hang out with us as much as he could. So after seeing now how this season's going for, for Lewis, that car that we saw for the very first time has certainly been paying dividends for the, for him. The episode with Melinda Gates, what was the goal with that episode? 
again, it's just Dave's interest. Dave really was taken by Melinda's Melinda's book, uh, inspired by what her and the Gates Foundation are doing around the world, and wanted to sit down and talk to her. You know, and it's his prerogative, and and so that's what we did. So it's it's truly and a the sort of prime example of what separates his previous show and this one where you can sit down and have a couple hour conversation with someone that you really find inspiring that he finds really inspiring. So that's, and so we went out and made it happen. Did you ever talk with Dave about what his overall vision with this program was? Do you know what it is he's trying to accomplish? I don't. I, I mean, I've never had that conversation with him. I think the closest I can come to sort of answering that question is just what I was saying about Melinda. You know, it's here's a, this unique opportunity to sit down and talk to people that you, you have a, an interest in actually getting to know. And so much of television is, you know, quick and quick bites and, you know, they're, you're promoting something or you're selling a book or you're, you know, there's that motivation of why someone's sitting across from you, whether it be a desk or two chairs, you know, facing each other, you know, that there's there's something else behind it. With this, it truly is just Dave's interests and people that he finds inspiring that he wants to have a conversation with. And for me, you know, I just, I love the idea of slowing things down and letting people really have conversations. I think it's lacking, and I think, you know, who else, who better to do that than, than David Letterman? <laughs> it's occurred to me when I watched these, because I have to say, there's been a lot of surprising moments. For anyone who hasn't seen this, you'll get to hear David Letterman say things you never thought that he would say, and you'll get to see him do things that you never thought that he would do. You know, I, I think he's certainly revealed more about himself than, you know, in his previous than on his previous show. I do know that, you know, say with, you know, Lewis Hamilton, he was really taken by that father-son relationship. And again, you know, he's revealing quite a bit about himself and, and found that touching and compelling. And so, you know, you learn a little bit about Dave and through some of these interviews. So it certainly, some of that comes through for sure. It feels more personal. Mm-hmm. The show overall is more personal, in my, in my opinion. In the Melinda Gates interview, she talks about her work in India, and it was very, very touching. And something you mentioned to me in one of your emails was that, that you were in India recently. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I can. We were uh, shooting the the field pieces for the Sharuk Khan, which uh, is not out yet. I'm not don't please don't ask me like when that's coming out or or how that's being released because I I don't know. But we had we did an interview with Sharuk Khan, who's uh the world's most famous Bollywood actor, which also means he's probably the most famous actor in the world. And so we were there visiting with him and and you know hanging out in Mumbai at the end of Ramadan and uh you know and uh, and right when Eid was happening. So. Yeah, we were there to hang out with Sharuk and and you know hang out in India, and it was it was an intense and amazing experience. You know, I don't know how much you know about Sharuk Khan. If if you do, do you know anything about Sharuk? I do not. Yeah, 
Well, you know, he is, again, like I said, you know, just one of the most famous Bollywood actors that there, there is at this point. It's a, it's, a, it's a type of celebrity fame that I don't think we have here in the U.S. anymore. It's kind of unexplainable, you know. So, you know, during Eid, during, when Eid happens, you know, thousands of people gather outside his house and, you know, so they can just wait for him to come out on his balcony and wave. There's a sort of level of celebrity that, you know, maybe royalty and a few others may, may, may have. And so we were there to just sort of experience that. And we certainly did. Will there be a third season of My Next Guest Needs No Introduction? I do not know, Paul. Uh, (laughs) I certainly hope so. I'm ready and chomping at the bit. So I don't have an answer for you on that, unfortunately. If there was, who would you like to see Dave interview? (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, I don't. It's not. And I'm not. I'm not trying to kind of avoid this question. I don't know who he should interview because <laughs> it's really not up up to me. It really isn't. So I like, you know, within meetings, I'd I'd probably, you know, have some opinions. But for here, I just don't, you know, I think it's Dave will come up with his list and then we'll go from there. So why do you do this? What's the purpose of the art you create? What motivates you? Um. What motivates me? Wow, that's a that's a deep one. You know, I mean, I have a deep love for filmmaking and you know documentary work, and I like you know I like to make things where people actually feel something and enjoy watching watching whatever I'm doing or you know watching whatever I'm sort of creating. So, I mean, what motivates me is just a love of of filmmaking. You know, I've been lucky to work at a place that allows me to, uh, you know, explore things that I think other production companies probably would not. And so, you know, I don't know had I not started working here, if I would have stayed in television necessarily, just because of the sort of limits on sort of creative expression. But I did land here and yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful place to work. And so, you know, just sort of pushing the boundaries of television as much as I possibly can. And, you know, I'm sort of working in a place where they allow you to do that. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a love of filmmaking, love documentary work, you know, coming across real situations that that people sort of can experience. Obviously, like the previous work that I've done, you know, it's brought me around the world and dropped me in places that I never would have been otherwise. So it's, uh, you know, it's not just work in a lot of ways. It's uh, the experiences and meeting people and telling their stories. You know, it, all, it sounds kind of sort of corny, but that's truly what motivates me. You know, otherwise, I don't know what's the point. Do you think there are any misconceptions about your career? I don't know. Do, are there conceptions about my career? I suppose I don't know. You know, I don't know what the conceptions of my career are to know what might be mis what might be a misconception. I can tell you that I, uh, I don't know. I don't know what people think about my career or if people do think about my career. But for me, I, it's, it's sort of unfolded in this really organic way. And, um, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a weird sort of, you know, sort of road I've traveled over the course of the last 
10 years at least, you know, I mean, I've been doing it for 20 years, but these last 10 years have certainly pushed me in, in ways that I had never for, foreseen. Are there any dream projects of yours that you, you'd like to film, but you haven't yet? Hmm. Well, you're getting into the idea phase. I'm sure there are, you know, I'm just so in mode, you know, I, you know, I mean, we did six episodes of this show over the course of the year. So sitting down and thinking up ideas and, you know, I don't have a lot of time to sort of, to really explore, unfortunately. I mean, a dream would be just to go back to, to painting and just, you know, have a studio and live the life of an artist. But I don't think that's going to occur anytime soon. But yeah, so within within television, no, I mean, I've made, I've really done some, what I think is some great work. You know, whatever sort of lands in front of me, I approach in the same, with the same sort of passion and heart and seriousness as any project. You know, whether it's with the Tony or with Dave or whoever it is and whatever the subject matter is, you know, I just want, you know, to make the most sort of creative and compelling show or film that I possibly can. Because everybody has, you know, it's really just storytelling and everybody has a compelling story if you really sort of dig in and, you know, make yourself vulnerable and ask the right questions and sort of approach it with honesty so, yeah, I mean, it really, it really is whatever's right in front of me, is that, if that's an answer. Absolutely. Well, Michael Steed, thank you very much for spending time with us. I always like to give the guest the stage at the end. We just never know who's listening. For anyone who's tuned in, what would you say to them? What would I say to them? I'd say... Uh, uh, approach the world and people with as much empathy as you possibly can. Radical empathy is the answer to uh, a lot of the problems that we're facing in the world. That's what I would say to them. Very well put. Anyone out there, they can check out 0.0.com. Thank you very much for spending time with us. Thank you, Paul. All right. Until next time. Pop, pop, doodly, zing, bang, doodly, knock, cock, cheap, taboo. Bibbidi, pata, cuts, a she, dap, oh, pop, bed, like a teen. Oh, get a gig, madam, no, oh, get a gig, a she, a gig, a gig, a gig, a gig, a gig, a gig, a